the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Like the strange events of Easter, the strange events of Pentecost can only be understood as the culmination of the story that begins in Genesis. The first time the Spirit of God appears in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters as God began to create the world. As the Spirit moved, God spoke, and various things came to be. Let there be light, and light was. The implication is that God spoke, and the Spirit in activity accomplished what the Word had spoken, like a builder making things according to the architectural plans. It is in this light that we can understand the pattern of the new creation in the New Testament. Hebrews 1.1 says that God, who spoke in various ways in the past, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. In harmony with the Genesis pattern, the Spirit now comes to accomplish what the Word has spoken, specifically to make new humans in the image of Christ. We need to be recreated because of sin. Genesis describes a process by which God, in the beginning, brought order and beauty from the primeval chaos by his word through the Spirit. Then Genesis describes how human sin reversed the creative process, creating chaos from the order and beauty of God's creation. The result was a world once again submerged in water after the flood. Genesis 2-7 says of the creation of Adam that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. This breath or spirit of life highlights the uniqueness of Adam in the creation. It corresponds to Genesis 1-27, where God made Adam in his image. Adam and Eve were distinguished from the other creatures in their ability to think, create, and choose like God. Their unique vocation and identity depended upon their willing obedience to God's word. The other creatures God made acted in accordance with what we call instinct. They naturally acted in accordance with God's word. Adam and Eve were given the unique ability to say no. God desired a relationship of love with the crown of his creation. Love requires a willing reciprocity, a lover who freely loves and a beloved who freely responds to love. The freedom 
to say yes requires the freedom to say no. And thus, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And this test of freedom remains the staple of life for the children of God. God says, do you love me and trust me enough to obey? Even when disobedience is very attractive and seems to make more sense. In the wilderness and in Gethsemane, Jesus stated the yes of the new Adam that answered the no of the first Adam. The consequence of sin, you shall surely die, is to be understood in terms of the unique relationship of Adam to God. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Death is the undoing of this life. The life God gave uniquely to Adam was not merely an animated body. All of God's creatures had that. The life God gave Adam was his unique status as God's son, made in God's image, made to live in relational communion with God. Death, then, was the severing of this relational communion with God through sin. This is why Adam lived a very long life, even though the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. Through sin, Adam and Eve lost their relational communion with God. This was their life. Without that life from God, without communion with God in the spirit, they were reduced to mere animals who came from the ground and returned to the ground with a merely temporal horizon for life. They lost their status, their vocation, and their eternal destiny. Behaviorally, they became captive to their lower instinctive nature. However, because they could think and choose, they could devise evil plans and perpetuate wickedness in ways that were way beyond what the lower beings could do. The state of captivity to our lower nature, cut off from union with God in the spirit, is the state of sin into which we are born. To be born into the state of sin does not mean we can never do anything that is good. It means that the very best of human effort and intention cannot rise above the limitations of this fallen nature, what the New Testament calls the flesh. We cannot restore ourselves to union with God. We cannot earn back our status as God's children, or win back for ourselves our eternal destiny. We needed a new Adam to fulfill the human vocation of faithful obedience for us. And then we needed that new Adam to send the Holy Spirit to us, to restore us to the human vocation that we lost through sin.
Thus, the gift of the Spirit on Pentecost is the restoration of life. We who were dead in our state of sin are raised to life by God in Christ through the gift of the Spirit. As God breathed the breath of life into Adam, so now God in Christ breathes the breath of new life into us through the gift of the Spirit. And we receive this gift of new life by faith and by obedience. Jesus links the gift of the Spirit to obedience in the gospel. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Trust in Jesus and obedience to his commandments reverses the distrust and disobedience of the first humans. It is the way we freely reciprocate the love of God that has been given to us in Christ. And this is why Mary stands as the model saint for the church. Jesus is the new man who fulfilled the vocation of faithful obedience, abandoned by the first man, Adam. Mary is the new woman who said yes to God in words that answer the no of Eve, in words that the church and each believer continually make our own. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. The descent of the Spirit on Pentecost adds the image of fire to the wind and breath of Genesis. This is a sacrificial image that comes from the whole burnt offering of the Old Testament. As Leviticus 9 says of one such offering, fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the offering that was on the altar. Through the gift of the Spirit, God makes us what Romans 12 calls a living sacrifice. The fire of God purifies us the way a refining fire purifies precious metal. The desires of the flesh which remain in us threaten the life to which we are restored in the spirit. As we continue to confess our sins and continue to put our faith in Jesus, the purifying work of the spirit continues in us. Our continuing faith and obedience are our continual yes to God, to his work of purifying love in us. As our communion hymn today will say, Oh, let it freely burn till earthly passions turn to dust and ashes in its heat consuming. Thus on Pentecost, God completes his work of new creation that he began with the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Through the gift of the Spirit, God raises us 
from the state of death, the state of sin, to new life in Christ. He restores to us the status and vocation we lost through sin. As we continue to put our faith in Jesus and obey his commandments, the Spirit continues to cleanse us from all sin and prepare us for our destiny in his kingdom. As Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17 say, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God, heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.